Um, uh, Iran, as I've mentioned many times, um, by rate of growth, seems to be the fastest growing church in the world, um, in spite of the evil regime that has gone on there. And Afghanistan is number two. In spite of the horrific events and the failures that have gone on in Afghanistan, God is doing a tremendous work below the surface and behind the scenes. Um, I saw one house church network that said uh, in the last couple weeks, their house church network has gone from about 200 or so people to about 3,000 here in these last couple weeks because people are so hungry and ripe for hope and that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so while you see the tragedies that are going on and we don't want to dismiss them at the same time, God's doing a powerful thing through it, as our God does. And one of the reasons Afghanistan is the second fastest rate of growth uh, here in the world is because people from Iran are sending missionaries to Afghanistan because of what God's doing in Iran. So I just want to encourage you with that and remind you that God is behind the scenes and he's at work and his kingdom isn't always right up in our faces. Many times it's subtle and subversive. And he's doing a great work. And at the cross, he has disarmed the evil one. He has crushed the head of the serpent. And he is continuing to do so, even though the serpent is writhing in its death pangs now. God is continuing to do a work. And we look forward to the day when he comes and returns and makes all things new. But that said, let's have our scripture uh, reading here this morning as, uh, as we learn. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Love that song. As we continue in worship this morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, we're going to read uh, in chapter 1. This week is in many weeks the forces of darkness and the nations have raged. Sin continues to break down our bodies, but we're here gathered corporately point ourselves towards the answer, the answer that is Jesus, and to be called and reminded of the kingdom of God. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and all those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water... He saw the heavens parting, and a spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was 
tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. A unifying message and a centering for believers. The point of the Bible and a call to the kingdom of God for those who are unbelievers. Let's pray. Father, we are here in this broken earthly kingdom and these broken bodies. Father, we have little kingdoms of our own that we try to set down. And we pray that you would break through our personal kingdoms. We pray that you would call us, all unite us in this call to join the kingdom of God. Father, if anybody is here today that does not know you, I pray that you would show them, that you would um, speak to them through your word, that through um, Jamie's preaching, that you would point out the light. Father, we pray that you would work in your church around the world, and we certainly do remember those in the Middle East who are under specific persecution today, fear of death for their faith. Father, we pray also specifically for Spruce Head Community Church and Brother Chris Emery. We pray that you would be with him, strengthen him, guide him, help him to call those in his flock to this great kingdom. Father, open our hearts and our minds, work in this body that we would be a light, that we would always remember that we are to call people to this kingdom, that we are called to this kingdom, and that we would live as if we are a member of this kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we get into the scripture here this morning, is are there any, any ways that you've seen God perhaps so even this week at work, uh, doing something uh, through your lives, doing something through um, through His Word, uh, showing you, revealing you something, maybe a way He's He's allowed uh, you to be used, uh, or maybe a sign that God's grace is at work. Anybody have any testimonies to that here this morning? Please. The young man that I witnessed to back of Iconium, and that I reported that he had died from an apparent overdose. I found out yesterday at his funeral, uh, uh, Friday, I'm sorry, at his funeral that the toxicology showed that the only thing in his system was his Adderall that was laced with fentanyl. And it was gotten off the street because this young man didn't have a doctor's care, so the only way he could get his Adderall for his ADHD was through the street. The surprising and the most graceful thing that the Lord had showed me during that ceremony was that the only thing found in his system was that and it would have taken at least two to three weeks to clear his system of any other drug and that would have brought him right back to the day of his salvation mm. so God did do a true work in this young man and it was a reassurance to me that, that his salvation was true mm-hmm. um, so that's that's something the Lord revealed to me that I didn't deserve to hear, but he did reveal it. Um, thank you for that. Fantastic. A brand snatched plucked from the fire, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
pray for Lee. I think you've got a couple of things here left for this season for the Christian Motorcycle Association and their outreach there. And so be encouraged that uh, the Lord will continue to use them there in that sense as a, as a missionary to that particular subculture. Uh, anybody else? A work that you've seen God do? Uh, we've been praying for our neighbor. Uh, both he and his wife are going through major health issues right now. And uh, we've been looking for ways that we can help them. But he particularly doesn't like to ask for help. Um, but the other day, uh, she had to go to a medical appointment and he needed to be brought from Portland to Camden. And he just he said, I hate to do this, but could you, you mentioned that you would give us a ride. Could, could you give me a ride um, from Portland to Camden? And so then about halfway to, to Camden, he said, he started talking about what Connie and I do and translating the Bible. And then he said, I've never read a page of the Bible. And I thought, he must be asking what it's all about. And so I got to tell him, and I got to tell him about Jesus. Um, he said that that was interesting, um, was as far as we got. But I was able to, to share with him the good news of Jesus Christ and um, just such a, such a blessing. And, and so we're just thankful that God gave us that opportunity and looking for more. The gospel, sharing the gospel through service <coughs> happens. Amazing how when you love your neighbor and obey the great commandment, how the great commission opens up. Anybody else? All right. Uh, for our scripture reading together, we uh, for this for the church uh, this week we're finishing up the book of John, John 15 and John 21. So if you're tracking with that, uh, please uh, uh, rejoice in the, the the end of the story here. The the seven signs that John has tried to show throughout the book of John that Jesus is the one in whom you must believe. And uh, John 15 through 21 here um, close that up. And you see uh, John end with this idea that if he were to contain write everything that was contained about Jesus, all the books in the world couldn't fill it. But these things were selected, and these things were written so that you might believe on him and you might have life in his name. And that's what the scripture is all about. Our God has come to bring us life in his name. And so we're in Mark chapter 1 here. We're working on a series... Uh, hitting the high points of God's mission, all the way from creation, and now we are just hit the New Testament, the Gospels. And um, <clears throat> we're in Mark chapter 1, and uh, this morning is, is going to be less of an exposition, exposition of Mark 1, 1 through 15, and more of taking the bookends of that, 1, 1, and 1, 14 and 15, uh, to show you um, the whole point of the book of Mark, and really the whole point of, of Scripture here, that the king has arrived. The king has arrived. And two weeks ago, we had missionary Ryan Perry share with us um, uh, their ministry and share with us from the Scriptures um, what, what, what God was doing. Uh, but two weeks ago, we left off with, why did Jesus have to be a king? I mean, why couldn't he, why, why, why a king? Couldn't he have just showed up? As God, why did he have to be a king? And the answer was, when we looked at scripture and look at Genesis chapter 1, that God created us to have dominion over the earth. Psalm 8, that he created us for glory and honor. That God made us to be his representatives. To reign under him over this earth. To fill the earth with his glory. 
And one of the major ways to, to, of, of doing that was to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with more imagers of God. And that's what God designed us to do. But of course, we know that we betrayed our king and Adam. We sinned with Adam. We, we, we were disloyal to his word. We turned away from him and his good for us. We betrayed him and we did not fill the earth with his glory. And so Romans 1 tells us that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We did not honor God as God. But instead we gave glory to his creation instead of the one who made creation. And as a result, we became like the things that we worship. And we always do. We become like what we worship. Like what we set our hearts upon. And so Romans 3 will tell us, For all have sinned and come short, fallen short of his glory. We have fallen short of our purpose of bringing glory and honor to our Creator by representing Him, by, by imaging Him out to the world, by having dominion over the things that He has placed us over. And therefore, we do not show our world that God is the one true and good King. And that's what went wrong. And so because of that, we needed a perfect human King to stand in our place. We needed one who was not only God, but joined humanity. He, he took on flesh. He added humanity to his nature. He became the God-man, but he became the God-man that Luke chapter 1 tells us, the angel prophesying, presenting this news to the Virgin Mary, saying, he will have a kingdom of which there will be no end. Just like was promised in 2 Samuel 7, God's promise to David that his line, his throne, he would have a forever king in his line. So we needed a perfect human king to forever stand in our place, to fill the earth with God's glory. That's what we were designed for, but we failed. And so God put the representative, the one, the one true king in our place. And so the good news of the gospel is that when we respond with a trusting faith, we, 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 we turn from our way, we turn to God, we receive him, as John 1 says, we receive him, that the scripture says that uh, we will one day reign with him, and in this life we can continue to grow in filling the earth with his glory. That's the transformation of Jesus in our place, but it only happens when, we're, when we are united with him, when we're joined with him by faith. And so that leads us to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Roman emperor... Octavian, when he took over the throne as the next Caesar, sent out a decree through messengers, heralds throughout the Roman Empire, saying this, the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Caesar, the Son of God. That was a common thing, actually. Caesar was looked at to be one of the sons of God. Every Roman king was a son of God. A son of the Roman gods. And the good news was that he was in charge. He was reigning the empire. And it is during that setting and period that John Mark, that one who had left Paul in Acts and had grown to maturity, the one who is, who is, uh, who is like... Uh, to Peter, what Timothy was to Paul. 
The one who is mentored by Peter. The one who writes every single story and every single eyewitness event in Mark chapter 1 through the eyes of Peter. That one, historically writing from the city of Rome, as most scholars agree, writes this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here he's writing from the city of Caesar, the empire capital, Rome. And that very first verse tells us about Mark's purpose. He was close to Peter, but his, and his job was to summon allegiance to the crucified and risen and a throne and throne servant king through the good news of his transforming power. And what he's doing here is he's expanding Peter's five sermons in the book of Acts. And, and Paul's receiving, that he says he received in 1 Corinthians 15 of the Gospel. And in chapters 8, 9, and 10, three times, almost in the middle of the book, in three separate chapters, Mark will say, will quote Jesus as saying, he must suffer, he must die, and be buried, and rise again. This is the good news that Mark is summoning allegiance to. Too. There's some big themes in the book of Mark. One of the big themes is the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom. If that word mystery sounds familiar, it's because Paul uses it frequently to describe God's mystery of the church. The other big theme, of course, is the coming death and resurrection of Jesus. And another theme, you get little seeds of this scattered throughout, is there's a new community of the king. New community of the king. So what do you see in, in, in verse 1? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word beginning is the Greek word arche. Arch. The ark. You think of archangel, right? The premier. And it has the idea, certainly, of a time and point here where now something has begun that changes the world. But it also has the idea of a foundation and authority. The beginning. The authoritative account here of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Mark is doing here is he's already telling us the intended outcome of the book. This is the story of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. And he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning meaning God has entered time and space. He has broken into this world here through his son, King Jesus. You might remember uh, last time we looked and we saw that um, over and over in the content of the preaching of the book of Acts, and then if you did a, a study of that word preaching or proclaiming, also in the epistles, what you will find over and over and over again, with very few exceptions, is the content is summarized with this. They preached Jesus Christ. They preached Jesus Christ. And sometimes, because of our Western minds, we hear Jesus Christ and we think um, that's Jesus' first name and his last name, Jesus Christ. But really, what that is saying is Christ is a title. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. Christ is a Greek word for Messiah, the Anointed One. And it has these tones of a royal announcement here. So when, 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 when it says they preach Jesus Christ... And when you see the word Christ in Scripture, you can immediately replace it in your mind here with a richer understanding of king. They preached 
Jesus the King. Jesus the King. King Jesus. And so, when this is happening here, the beginning, it tells us that God has entered time and space, and He's entered time and space with good news. There is a change in the regime. There is a new king, and this new king has a demand. He has a message that will free and liberate. And what is the content of this king? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember why Joseph was told in Matthew chapter 1 to name him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Savior. Salvation through the one true Israelite who is the God-man. And then Jesus Christ, Jesus the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the rightful one, the one where Paul in 2 Timothy 2 says, Remember my gospel, Jesus Christ, the seed of David. And remember in Romans 1, 2 through 7, where he says, According to my gospel, Jesus Christ promised beforehand by the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, born of the seed of David. Why is that so important? Because of what God's promise was in 2 Samuel 7. There would be a forever king through David. And what he's saying is Jesus is that one who is identified. He's the king. And then the rest of verse 1 says, The Son of God. The Son of God. Jesus' beginning didn't start when he was born. Jesus was God. Always was the Son of God. Always was. But when he was born of a virgin, he took, when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he took on human nature to become that God-man king. To enter in the sufferings, Hebrews 2 tells us, that we experience. And tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And did so that he might have sympathy upon his brothers, compassion on his brothers. So he's the son of God, he's the supreme God. And what you need to understand from verse 1 is simply this. The promise has been kept. The promise has been kept. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. What God had said in the Old Testament, here it is. He's arrived. He's here. The King. King Jesus, the Son of God. Here's the good news He is bringing. God has kept His promise. The Supreme God. Not the beginning of the good news of, of Caesar, the Son of God. Beginning of the good news of King Jesus, the Son of God. So God has kept his promise. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and says, The promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes and amen. So be it. For the glory of God through us. And that's what Mark is saying. The promises of God have been marked out and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Not Caesar, but Jesus. And then look at the, the story here as it unfolds. John doesn't tell very much about Jesus' birth. He doesn't say anything about it. But he starts right off at Jesus' ministry. Jesus' commission, where at his baptism, the, the Spirit of God comes upon, he, uh, comes upon Jesus and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God puts his stamp of authority on the ministry of his Son. And that's how John breaks into the story with Jesus. Because he wants to get right to the Gospel. It's like, John can't wait. 
He's got to get. He's got to tell us who Jesus is and how what he is going to do to sin and evil and how he is the one true King. But he starts off by anchoring it in the Old Testament, doesn't he? He says, "As it is written," and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter forty. And Isaiah chapter forty is a is a chapter that was to be a, a particular comfort to Israel who had been in captivity. And God tells Israel, comfort me, comfort my people. And he tells them about the greatness of God. He tells them about, about uh, uh, the one who, who to the, the nations, the, the populations and kingdoms of the earth are but a drop in the bucket. The one who, who created the world and measured the difference between stars with a span of his hands. The one who Israel was to say to all the nations, Behold your God, your God reigns. The one who had, uh, would, would summon heralders to go throughout the world and, and have beautiful feet to bring good tidings of good news. But the one who, in the beginning of Isaiah 40, was told there would be a forerunner. A particular herald. John the Baptist, who would go before and prepare the way for the king. You see, as Isaiah was writing that, um, what would happen is what the what the British joke about in England, um, the only places that smell like fresh paint are where the queen is going to be. And what a what would happen is if news was coming that the king was going to visit a particular place and, and, uh, and move in his, his entourage there, um, the potholes would be mysteriously filled in. The roads would be widened, the curves in the road would be straightened out, and it would be smooth. Uh, there is a way that would be prepared to get to the destination here. And that's what Isaiah 40 is saying about John the Baptist. He's getting the way ready for a king who's coming. And so in Mark chapter 1, John comes on the scene and he says, There comes one, in verse 7, mightier than I after me, the shoe the, the latchet of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he is baptized by John, identifying himself as the one in whom God is well pleased, the Messiah, and identifying with sinful humanity, though he is not sinful. And verse 12, he goes into the wilderness in verse 13. He was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. And notice it doesn't say he ever gave in the temptation. He's already showing he's victorious against evil. He is pushing back against the dark forces. And then in verse 14 and 15 we have these glorious words. After that, John was put in prison. So there's a, more, there's a transition in time here. Something's going to happen. Here, John the Baptist, the great forerunner, he's now in prison. His life span here is going to be terminated. What will happen? And Mark summarizes Jesus' message here in verse 14 as Jesus coming to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The gospel. Summarizes Jesus' message with that. And he's saying this. The time is fulfilled. It's go time now. It's now. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's the idea of a door wide open, ready to break through. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
And he says, repent and believe in the good news. Here's what he's saying. God is summoning humanity to the saving reign of Jesus Christ. The saving reign of Jesus Christ. You notice in these words here, there is an authority, isn't there? And when there is an authority, there must follow with that authority a submission to that authority. And what God is saying is this. I am the one true king promised. It is time. It is fulfilled. The good news is here. And the good news is to change your thinking and now live in line with that change. There's a transformation that comes through me, is what Jesus is saying here. There is good news. There is liberation. There is a, a breaking of bonds. There, there is a sight to the blind. There is, is a light in the darkness here, is what Jesus is saying. And he has summoned you. And he is saying, now is the time to respond to the king. There's one king, and this king has a demand. This isn't a good advice, is it? This is good news. This isn't a suggestion, is it? Well, y'all, it would be real nice if you could kind of change and, you know, it would be good if you believed. This is a command from the king. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. This is, this, is, this is authoritative here. Paul will pick up that same idea when in Acts 17, speaking before the Marcel Council, he says that God has commanded every man to repent. So the gospel isn't good, good advice. The gospel isn't um, a, 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 a choice of three options here. The gospel is repent and believe or imply perish. Perish. This is the only way. There's no plan B. God doesn't have, well, if you don't believe the gospel, that there's, uh, there's this other way here that might be a little bit easier, and, and uh, you could try this. This is it. Repent and believe the good news. The good news. And so I want you to see quickly that good news. Remember, verse 1 says the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want you to turn with you to Mark chapter 8 to see this with your own eyes. Mark chapter 8. It's after the 4,000 have been, uh, have, been, have been fed. In the end of Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus went out, went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying, Who men do say that I am? And they give them all kinds of answers. And Peter answered and said, Thou art the what? You're the king. <laughs> You're the Messiah king. And Jesus charged him that so he would tell no man of him. And he began to teach them what? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And I'd like you to turn to chapter 9. This is after the, 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 the demon is thrown, cast out of the boy. In verse 14 he says, 
after he casts out the demon. Um, he says in verse 30, They departed thence and passed through Galilee, and you would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise a third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And then he talks about discipleship here. Then in chapter 10, Jesus blessed the little children and says, The way little children receive me, how they're coming to me, is the way that everybody comes into the kingdom. They embrace me. Whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God, in verse 15, as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And then he uh, describes um, those who are, are, are rich and how difficult it is when you set your eyes on riches to come into the kingdom of God. And then in verse 32, it says this, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Jesus is making a point. This is the good news. But this isn't the good news that our minds would have come up with. Oh, a king has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Israelites would have understood that to be, he's going to get rid of all our enemies. Peace is going to be here. And Jesus says, I'm the servant king. I'm the suffering servant king. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to give my life because you have, you have betrayed me as image bearers. And I'm going to give my life and die in your place. For the forgiveness of sins, Paul will say you receive the same message in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to offer you new life, resurrection life, eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. There's something that has to happen, though. If the king has summoned you, then there, 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 is, a, there is a response that needs to happen. And, and, and the fact that Jesus says in Mark chapter 1... Here, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, reminds us that there's a response because there's a kingdom to be lived for. There's a kingdom to live for. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. You seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things that the Gentiles, the unbelievers worried about, should be added unto you. And what were those things? Well, basic needs of life. What's going to happen tomorrow? The things that even the birds don't worry about because the Father feeds them. Your worries, your anxieties, God's going to take care of that. But your focus is to be what? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Very simply, it's God's reign. There will come a time when God will establish this kingdom more fully with a thousand year reign in Jerusalem. And then after that, with the eternal kingdom, after he deals with evil and throws the devil and those who align themselves with him into the lake of fire. And that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about perishing. Why you need the good news, because that's our destination. But there's a sense here where the kingdom of God is God's word at reign in your life. And I wonder this morning, 
here, if I were to ask your employer, is this person a citizen of the kingdom of God? What evidence would they respond to? What would they say? Or if I were to ask your employee about you as their, as their boss here, is this person a boss who is a kingdom of God citizen? Or I were to ask your wife, does this person exude the qualities and character by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit of what it is to be a kingdom of God citizen? Are they under the reign of the Word of God? Is it, is it operating in their life? Are they changing day by day? Are they not the same person that they used to be in a good way? Or to ask your children, are your parents citizens of the kingdom of God by what you see? Do they see Jesus in you? And the reign of God's word in your life, what would they say? If I were to ask your neighbors, those neighbors there in house number such and such, a couple houses down the road or next door, are they citizens of an eternal kingdom? Can you tell it by their lives? Do they live to love God and neighbor and to live their lives in alignment with his word? Have they been changed? Transformed? Do you see a distinct difference in what they're living for and perhaps what you might be living for? If I were to ask the person who cut you off on the highway or the person you had to respond to based on a bad business deal, how did you respond to it? Respond in the right way. See, God's reign here, what God is offering to us is a king, a saving king to rule and redeem us. When God saves us, he gives us a king, and with that king is a kingdom to live for. Oh no, that kingdom has not been fully established. That's what we look forward to. But we are to be the first taste of that as citizens of this kingdom. And I want to ask you this question. What are the things I'm worrying about and the things that I'm chasing? But it all comes down to it. Is there a significant proof that my life is about seeking first the kingdom of God. Families, heads of households, how would that change your family if instead of chasing after this, 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 and this, and this, those things are at the periphery and you engage in them, but you did so with your eyes fully focused on seeking first the kingdom of God? How would that change our work? How would that change our allegiances? How would it change our time perspectives? None of us have any time to do anything. We're all tapped out. And yet, all of us have the same 24 hours and seven days a week, don't we? What is at the core and the center of all we do? There is a kingdom to live for. 
And that's what Jesus is offering, is transformed lives that, that, that have called us to, to, from away from the self-rule, away from the sin, away from the desire to do my own thing, to Jesus is on the saving throne. Jesus redeems them. Jesus changes. Jesus transforms. There's a kingdom to live for. And that's why the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, as Paul is writing to follow up on these believers who responded to the gospel, you've seen them grow, your minds walk worthy of this calling. God has called you into this kingdom. He's uh, translated you from darkness to light here in, in his kingdom. He has, he has uh, uh, disarmed the evil one. He has brought you into freedom, and the freedom of living in Christ's life here. Walk worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and his glory. There's our restored status here. But there's another thing I want you to see here. And part of it is this. This response requires that you and I are going to have to let something go. No man can serve two masters, two kings. Now, Satan and the deceitfulness of our hearts tricks us into thinking that we can do it without God. We can live life without God. We can do our own thing. And if I attach myself to this, or I live for this, then that's going to get me in a good position. And it's just as foolish as a two-year-old stepping into the cockpit of a 747 and thinking they can fly that plane. And none of us would do that. We would think that would be ridiculous and wouldn't, let, wouldn't, wouldn't trust ourselves to let a two-year-old pilot a 747. But life without Jesus at the core is the same thing. I want you to understand this because this is, this is what the, how the lost world lives and this is how believers can be tricked too. When you think that I can, make, I can do things on my own and I don't need to be anchored in God, I don't need to be living in his word, I don't need to be in contact with him, I don't need to be engaged with his, with his community, his body, which is a tremendous way of how he delivers grace to us and strength, community, what you're doing is climbing into the cockpit like a two-year-old and trying to take over at 747. And ten times out of ten, with no exceptions, there's going to be a horrific crash. And Jesus warns about that. That's why, in God's mercy, he's saying, repent and believe. Repent and believe. That idea of repent, the Greek word metanoia, means a, a, a change of thinking in alignment with the Hebrew scriptures here, means a turning to God. Which means there's something that's got to be left behind. Right? You can't be like this, like Lot's wife, right? That's why Jesus says, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Lot's wife? What did Lot's wife do? Judgment is coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and what is she doing? Okay. It's incompatible with God's kingdom. And God calls us to stop living for ourselves and to live for Him. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Well, where repent, change in mind results in changed behavior here means that something's got to be let go, our own self-rule. And he says repent and believe. A lot of times when we hear repentance, it's a loaded word in our mind and we just think of someone who feels real sorry 
And that's a part of it. But it's more than remorse. It's more than remorse. The Hebrew understanding of belief was linked with embodiment of that belief. What's going to result in that? Uh, uh, there's, going to be, there's going to be a change, transformation here. And it's not all at once. It's not like all of a sudden I was, I was headed this way, going into sin, and then now I'm perfect. No. But there has been a 180 degree shift in allegiance. And now in line with that allegiance, I'm growing to give more and more of my life to God and his work in his kingdom. That's what it means. And believe is the idea of resting, of, of a trusting allegiance in what God has said is true. And it's not just up here. Oh, yeah, I believe, right? I mean, I could say I believe in that clock on the wall, but in a few minutes here, I better know that it's about time to wrap up, right? <laughs> That's real belief. That's genuine belief. I can say, you know what? My car will get me from here to my house when I turn the key and I drive it here. But unless I get in the car and turn the key, I'm not really exercising trust in it, right? It's up here. But God wants us to get to the heart. And that's why these words here in 14 and 15 are a call for the heart. God wants the heart. You know why he wants the heart? Because that's what he made us to be. That's the command system here. That's the, that's, that's the core of us. And that's why a little bit later, in Mark chapter 12, there's going to come a conversation with a guy who understood a lot about what God had revealed in the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and uh, in Mark chapter 12, and verse 29... There's a conversation Jesus has with this religious leader. One of the scribes in Mark 12, 28 came and having heard them reason together, perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, which is the first, the first of importance? The first commandment of all. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, The Lord our God is one Lord. There's one true God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he answered wisely. He said unto him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Here's a transformation Jesus does. When we repent and believe on Jesus, the works of what Jesus has done, his life, his death for our sins, his burial, his resurrection to new life, that he's brought us by being born again into his kingdom. There's a transformation with these two core things. Want to know what it means to, to seek the kingdom of God first? It means right here. What this says. It means your life is going to be pronounced primarily by a life of love. You might say, well, love, that's so ambiguous. And, and in our world, love means so many things. And it just seems so touchy-feely. And in the scripture, the Bible says, yeah, that's right. But here's what real love is. Here's what real love is. I want you to hear this. 
Real love is a cross-shaped action that glorifies God and is the good for others. Real love is a cross-shaped action that glorifies God and is good for others. And you can very simply think of it through the lens of the cross. The lens of the cross. But God demonstrated his love for us and not while we were sinners, Christ's love. Died for us. Christ died for us. Even think of a physical cross, right? The shape of that cross here. The cross is made up of two pieces. The one piece, vertical. The other piece, horizontal. Christ's death on the cross, the atonement for sins, shows what true love is. True love moves up, and true love moves out. When I'm talking about true love, I'm not talking about the Prince's Bride. <laughs> what I'm talking about is God's Calvary. And he has imparted that to us. And he has, has, uh, has, has, has saved us and brings us to a kingdom here. He implants that in us. And that death on the Roman cross was a self-denying sacrifice in full obedience to God for God's glory and for the benefit of others, for other salvation. Jesus pleased God on that cross. It pleased the Father to bruise him. Isaiah 53 says, And Jesus, to utter the vast understatement of the day, helped others. Rescue, redeeming. And so, true transformation here results in that. It results in how you engage with other image bearers. It results in you looking for ways to give honor and glorify your God, your Father which is in heaven, right? By how you are corresponding to others horizontally. That's why in Mark chapter 12, Jesus said, it's to love God and to love your neighbor. If that is the focus, the other things fall into place. That's a transformed life here. Do you know what? My life doesn't want to do that. I'm kicking and screaming. I wouldn't be happy to drive all the way to Portland and pick up a neighbor in the hospital. That wouldn't wouldn't make my natural heart happy. That would be a real inconvenience. That would be difficult. But a transformed heart sees that as an opportunity to give glory and honor to God, to serve my neighbor, and out of that have a gospel conversation. Not the goodness of Jesus who changes. Friends, there are some of you in this room who have still not responded to Jesus' call and command. The King summoned to repent and believe the gospel. And you have in your mind deceived yourself to thinking that you can be in charge and control of your own life. And like a two-year-old pilot of 747. And we're going to watch, perhaps in subtle ways, or perhaps in really obvious ways, as you crash that into a mountain. And God in his mercy is pleading with you and commanding you to turn to Jesus. The one who has given his life for you. The one who has your good and best interests in mind. The one who offers you resurrection and life in, a, in, in contrast to eternal destruction and perishing. That's what our God offers to 
And our God is commanding you to turn and trust. Turn and trust Him. And you know where you exhibit your response to that? You show that you respond to that publicly? In the waters of baptism. It does not save you or make you righteous, but to display to the world that I'm living for another kingdom. And there's some of you in this room who you resisted that thought of baptism. Perhaps there's reasons you're fearful, or you think you can be neutral, but you can't. And now's the time to say, Jesus, I believe what you said. I'm repenting and turning to the true Word of God. I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm receiving you as my Redeemer and my King. And I'm going to declare that I am allied with the people of God and the God of the people. King Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit. And I'm aligning myself with His purposes. And so rather than having you walk down an aisle and profess that, I'd like to follow the biblical way. And if that's something that God's doing in your heart, you're saying, well, I put this off too long. I want you to speak to me. And I want to have a conversation with you about what, how I can help you understand more of this good news and your response to it. And then I would love with joy to have you display to the watching world that you're aligning with Jesus, the cross before me, the world behind me. The waters of baptism be part of his family. At the same time, I know that there might be believers here who your allegiance here recently has been a little bit shaky. It hasn't been what it should be. And King Jesus has been kind of shoved over in the corner of your house, of your life. And you know he needs to be right there at the front door. Running the show. And he who gave his life for you. If God has done that, how much more shall he freely give you what is good? And there might be an opportunity in your life here where you're saying, you know what? I need God's help and I need prayer. This is what I'm tempted to do. This is where I'm tempted to run into that cockpit and change the controls. And this is where I need Jesus. And his life to be that for This is where I need to be hidden in Jesus. And I need to walk with him and walk in his ways. There are ways that I have not loved my neighbor, my family member, my co-worker, my boss. And Jesus has called me to a greater kingdom, a transforming kingdom, to a cross-shaped action that glorifies God and benefits my neighbor. And by God's grace, I'm going to repent of that today. By God's grace, I'm asking Him to help me. By God's grace, I'm going to ask the accountability of some other members of this body to help me. When you do that, what you're doing is you're responding to the Word of God. And when you respond to the Word of God, you're responding to God's reign and rule through His Word. And you respond to the reign and rule of God's Word, there's fruit that starts to grow. There is, there is transformation. There is change. It's like, it's like when you have to prune back the bushes so the other stuff can, can get the sunlight and start to grow and flourish. 
Bring it to the light. Confess it. Change by God's power, by God's spirit, not in your own power. And so just as a side application here for us as a church, <clears throat> this, <clears throat> this Saturday is the first Saturday of September. It's hard to believe. Um, <clears throat> and <clears throat> we've talked and had lots of discussions about ways that we can be a blessing to others. Remember all the way back to God's word to Abraham, that God would bless Abraham? He would transform his life. He would give him a calling. He would redeem him out of Ur, the city of Ur, and his special people. And then God reminded Israel of that in Exodus 19, that they were to bear his name and be a distinct light to all the nations. And now here are a response to the good news of Jesus. What if we made the first Saturday of every month and called it something like Service Saturday? And we integrated it and got it in our minds and in our calendars that the first Saturday of every month, I'm going to look for a way to intentionally bless somebody else and be a service in our community. And you began to kind of scour uh, the community for ideas, look for ways to be a blessing so that the proof of God's work in your heart is displayed that the world may see your good works, but they may glorify your God, which is in heaven. And the best way they can glorify your God, which is in heaven, is say, those people know the king. And they respond to the king as well. So what if you took the first Saturday, and I don't know what your plans are for this Saturday. You probably already have plans. It's uh, Labor Day weekend. But here's an opportunity uh, to, to get something in motion. To get it in your mind, to literally write it in your calendar. This is service Saturday, the first Saturday of every month. And I'm going to take, I'm going to take you one day. Let's start there, right? One day out of 30 here. And I'm going to look for a way to love my neighbor. Look for a way to engage. Perhaps it's somebody who needs some, some, uh, some, some cleanup in their yard. Perhaps it's somebody who needs a visit. Perhaps it's somebody who needs some counsel from the Word of God. But it's a way to let people know that there is a way to God. There is a connection to God through Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ has sacrificed for me, I'm going to serve as a servant of this King, this servant King. Now, you can brainstorm, you can collaborate, you can teamwork here. Some of you live close enough to the area or have a common um, common need that you know about and you can unite and try to try to try to serve those particular needs. I'm going to challenge you to do that. If you're wondering, well, what is one way I can do that? I suggested for you for a few weeks here of of uh, of, of being a blessing in our in our schools lounges, teachers lounges, and our law enforcement uh, break rooms. <clears throat> and some of you have responded uh, to that, but school starts here. And what a blessing it would be if we had people who took initiative from our uh, community engagement fund where we have set aside money to do this, and you gather together some snacks and drinks for our local schools, um, so the town of Union would be represented, uh, the, 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 the town of uh, Hope and Camden Hills, um, our Christian schools, you name it. 
And we just left a little blessing for them of just some simple, tangible things like some snacks and drinks for teachers here as they get started on the first uh, week of school here with a little note that South Hope Community Church is praying for you. And we'd love to be continue to be a blessing to you. And if you uh, need more help or ways we can pray for you, here's a card and a way to contact us. This September 11th, here will be the 20th anniversary, will it not? September 11th. And with all that's gone on with our first responders over these last couple of years, what a blessing it would be to reach out to our Knox County um, uh, law enforcement and first responders, firemen, ambulance, and say, hey, we know that what you do is goes unnoticed a lot of times and underappreciated, and we want to let you know that we're very thankful for it because God has given you uh, as a gift to our community, and we want to uh, we want to honor that and say thank you, and we want to pray for you. And if you have specific ways you'd like us to pray for you, whether they're God fearing people or not, that's not the issue. Then here's a way to contact us. Well, those are a couple things. Now you think of your own, but if someone wanted to grab those and say, "Hey, I'll take Unit Elementary," I have someone who already said they're going to take Hope Elementary. I'll take the Knox County Sheriff, I'll take the Rockland Fire Department or the Union Fire Department or whatever, right? Um, then, then, then let me know so we can get this covered here. Because listen, what a tragedy it would be for, a, for, for cars to drive by Route 17, to see cars in the parking lot on Route 17 and wonder if we're making an impact in our community, why we exist. God's called us to higher and greater things. And I guarantee you that there will be opportunities for you to speak about the saving king. That's how God works. When we put ourselves as servants under the servant king, and we live in line with the great and glorious calling, a kingdom to live for, God does amazing things. Um, I had an opportunity uh, this week to uh, help my neighbors um, uh, with, with their wedding. And as I was talking to um, uh, the soon-to-be wife, um, as we were putting some details together, um, she works in the school system, and she was telling me about some of the tragic stories that she hears all the time about um, uh, families in our community, the, 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 the chaos, the disruption that happens so much, um, the, the brokenness. And she was kind of at, a, at wit's end saying, boy, if this is perpetual, this cycle continues, you just keep going and going and going. And I agreed with her, and, and, uh, and, and, and I said, but there's, there's, there is hope. And this is where the only hope for lasting change came, comes from. And I had a chance to talk about Jesus. But I didn't just have a chance to talk about the objective facts and works. Uh, uh, historically, what Jesus has done to change this, but I had a chance to tell a story about Rebecca, who's in Guatemala right now, serving with her, um, with her uh, uh, business here. And you heard her testimony at her baptism. How at a young age, and coping with the loss of her mother, she was steeped in alcoholism to a very critical point. But along the way, God began tapping on her shoulder. And the Holy Spirit began working in her heart. And there came a day, last fall, here, as she's home from, from Georgetown, and, uh, because of COVID, uh, she 
been able to go to Georgetown because of tremendous academics that she had. Started a business, etc. here. But God had been working in her heart. She began to study through a class the different religions of the world. And she began to see the flaws. And when it came time, after she had read the Quran of Islam, she began to read the scripture. She read the Bible. She began to see that Jesus is the one true God, the saving king. And she responded to him. And he received by faith the gift of God. And she typed a little email after visiting a local church in our area where she just had uh, very difficult uh, to connect. She emailed um, the church and said, Hi, I'm new to Christianity, and I was wondering if anyone who would, would talk to me about it, contact me. So I responded and introduced myself and, and said, I, I, I probably would assume that you'd be more, much more comfortable talking with another lady, and so here's a lady that just came to mind. And I gave her Connie's name because um, Connie is already working with people, helping disciple people. has a heart for that. And so I, I sent the information to her and to Connie, and come to find out, uh, Rebecca was very much into different languages and linguistics, and, um, and, and through conversations here, um, they had supper together at like 5, and, and Rebecca didn't leave till like 11 at night. Because she was telling her story of what God was doing in her life. But now she could see he was doing that. She didn't know he was doing it before. And now Jesus was changing her, and that she believed Jesus was the one true way. She wanted to follow Jesus. And so I told that story in a condensed form to my neighbor. And out of just a simple act of, yeah, I'll help you with this, God gave me a chance to say, God changes lives, and he's doing it in our church. And here's an example of that. And here was somebody who was part of that brokenness that you're talking about in the school system but God has rescued out of her, and this is the one true answer. This is what we all need. And she responded, and kind of was, was thinking about it. And so we want to continue to follow up on that. But those are the stories we want to tell more of, right? The transforming power of Jesus, the saving king. And so that's, a, that's, a, that's his word to us. And as we give our lives to him, we're going to see in chapter uh, in, in the book of Acts this week, the word of God multiplies, it increases, it, uh, it spreads, it gains root, it gains traction, and God's kingdom through his word starts to spread. Let's pray. Lord, we've invited those who do not know you and not responded to your good news by repentance and believing that today is the day of salvation. This is not something to put off. Our time on this earth is very short. It's a drop in the bucket in all eternity. And Lord, I pray regardless of the age of the individual in the ears listening, that your Holy Spirit would prick and convict and prompt to respond to Jesus' call. And Lord, I pray for our believers gathered here this morning who perhaps they've given back some ground to the evil one. Perhaps they've, they've, they've taken your rightful territory for themselves back. Lord, I pray that uh, you would 
um, uh, wean them off of the, the self-trust uh, from the delusions and lies and hand, uh, hand over their lives as a living sacrifice to you, holy and acceptable to God. And trust you to say, Lord, take my possessions, take my influence, take my position in this life and use it for your glory, for your kingdom. Lord, we'll, we know you'll be glorified and pleased when we do so. And you will do powerful things of transformation, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others as we're faithful and submissive to you. Thank you for your death on the Roman cross. It displays and blazing light what full obedience to God and the good of others is. And Lord, we pray that the reign of God through our resurrected and throned King and his kingdom citizens reigns in us. And as people look in up at us, they can say through the darkness of the world's events and circumstances that your God prevails. Your God is a conquering God. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you return. We look forward to the day when all things are fully healed. And as we sing with the songwriter, as far as the curse is found, we see a new heavens and a new earth. And you taking care of all evil and dealing with it as a judge of all the earth justly and beginning your new creation. Thank you, Lord, that redeemed lives are a taste of the new creation. That your Holy Spirit living in us in the bodies that we will one day receive in our glorified state are a taste here of what you will do in its fullness. Help us to labor for the coming King to long for his return, and yet to be faithful as he tarries. Maranatha. In Jesus' name.